Nicosian Cut, produced and presented by Andromagi Sophocleus and Kemal Baikale. Turkish Cypriots are mourning for their loved ones who lost their lives in the major earthquakes in Turkey. Former Foreign Minister Nikos Christodoulidis is now the new Republic of Cyprus president. In this episode, we offer a critical outlook towards his past, the election campaign, and what the future could hold. Hello, Kemal. Get me so soon. Teşekkür ederim. Um, we have had a, a, a terrible earthquake that hit Turkey and unfortunately around 49 Turkish Cypriots lost their lives in the big earthquake, including more than 20 um, junior school volleyball team uh, members of children um, from Famagusta. And it has been one of the biggest um, disasters for the Turkish Cypriot community of the recent history. And we really feel sorry and we are mourning for those innocent children who lost their lives after this a big earthquake. And um, I think for a very long time people will continue to mourn, considering the fact that um, um, those kids aged between um, 11 and 14, they're all coming from the same school. It's such a huge disaster. And um, there has been... Um, a, very positive examples of solidarity and very good messages um, from both sides of the divide. Um, United Cyprus now put banners all around Cyprus, mainly in the northern part of the island, saying that um, that, that they share the pain of the, the Turkish Cypriots who lost their lives. And um, there were also some other developments, maybe you want to mention a bit about those. Yeah, I think it, it has been, um, it has taken a toll on all of us. And, um, you know, we were comparing it to what had happened with the Aegis uh, um, airplane uh, crash. And uh, in fact, uh, you know, when you look at the numbers, I mean, the Turkish Cypriot community is such a small community and the numbers are so big for such a small community from from a small town as well. And yes, there, there, there were a number of... Uh, of examples of solidarity and moves showing solidarity towards the Turkish Cypriots in the in the Greek Cypriot community. You had football organizations like Nea Salamina having their flags at half mast. You had the University of Cyprus, which was in fact the first uh, sort of office official. Republic of Cyprus body that uh, decided to have its uh, flags at half flying at half mast. I must say that the Republic of Cyprus presidency has not yet uh, done anything, and in fact, and in fact, we met on Sunday, the twelfth of of uh, February. And if you remember, we were discussing whether there should be let's say, a complaint towards the Republic of Cyprus for failing to hold a three-day morning or uh, having its um, its uh, flags flying at uh, half-mast. And I remember discussing it and you were telling me, come on, Andromachi, it's already too late. And then, um, uh, so sadly, the response from uh, the Republic of Cyprus parliament only came on Tuesday and they only then decided to be flying the flags at half mast you know it's a of course one who is going to say the most important thing is the are the lives that have been lost but at the same time when you look at how we look at our island 
it's it becomes disheartening to see how much of a push uh, is required for the Republic of Cyprus official bodies to actually acknowledge, you know, the Turkish Cypriots as as our compatriots. And I remember, in fact, it was the British High Commission that was flying its fl- its flags at half mast before the Republic of Cyprus Parliament decided to do it. So, I mean, it it goes to show. But having said that, let's not uh, stick to the negatives. Uh, There were many signs of solidarity. I I just saw that uh, Mehmet uh, Harmanji from the Nicosia municipality in the north, he he said that he posted a very moving post on his social media saying that uh, the Turkish Cypriots will never forget all the support that they received. And I was reading and I was thinking how, you know, at the end, it is these moves that stay, these these small acts of solidarity. And we had uh, Greek Cypriots um, putting flowers outside the school of the Turkish Cypriots. We had many, many messages from uh, athletics clubs that were showing solidarity towards the the people that were lost in the earthquake. And it is... You know, it was a feeling of being stronger, even though, you know, for for the political animals amongst us, uh, it was disheartening to see how the Republic of Cyprus presidency has more or less been absent from from all of this. But it is good to see that the people took it upon themselves to show to each other how much they cared. And I think that this is what um, stands out at this moment. I think everybody um, felt uh, that pain somehow, some people more, some people less. And and um, yes, there are, there were very good um, pictures, but there were also negative ones uh, on both sides of the divide. And um, one example was that we had a, a Greek Cypriot uh, person bringing bottles of water to home for cooperation in the buffer zone, and the Turkish Cypriot authorities initially refused to accept um, aid and help from the Greek Cypriot community, which was really unacceptable, and people were, people were furious, not that because those, let's say, aid or help or support would really make maybe a huge difference, but it was a very symbolic act. And in these difficult times, it was very important to accept that support. And you and I, we were there in the buffer zone. And um, just to give an example how um, people's involvement can really make a difference, we had um, some bottles of water waiting in the buffer zone, and uh, the, the Turkish Cypriot authorities were not accepting and organized help at that time, and they said that they can only accept individual um, <laughs> um, support. So, as a as a as a kind of a protest, I think we were all going there, each carrying two uh, uh, boxes of, of bottles, crossing to the north, dropping the bottles, and coming back again, registering, and then uh, taking two more um, bags, and then registering again, and then crossing again, uh, over and over again. And I think. The, the, the picture of this, uh, people waiting in cold, trying to cross some bottles of waters in this very difficult time, and the bureaucracy, and the, particularly the Turkish Cypriot Foreign Ministry, was uh, really not um, showing a humanitarian face to it, uh, created a very big backslash and a reaction which made the Turkish Cypriot Council of Ministers um, next day to to pass a decision to accept uh, aid from the Greek Cypriots. And I think, I, I personally believe those pictures of us waiting in cold, trying to cross few bottles each time, 
really made a huge impact. And I think this is just one example how in difficult times uh, such actions can really make a, a, a difference. I really wanted to mention this and uh, especially in, in such a uh, small community. Yes, very difficult times um, still uh, for us. The Turkish Cypriots are, are and also our many Greek Cypriot friends uh, are, are mourning. But let's also face it, these things happened right in between the two um, uh, uh, two rounds of elections. But Kemal, and, before we go uh, there, I think, I think it is worth just mentioning also how the earthquake sort of rekindled relationships between Greece and Turkey. Uh, I remember the Hurriyet uh, front page uh, writing Efharistopoli file, which means thank you very much, my friend. And uh, it, it has actually led to a warming up of relations. And I, I'm just mentioning this to put it into the context of our discussion about the, the, um, the Cyprus elections, because it is a different setting and it could influence um, things in the future. I remember in 99 um, Andromahi when uh, the earthquake diplomacy changed the relations between the two countries, Greece and Turkey at that time, because first it was Turkey and then Greece, uh, two countries that were hit by earthquakes and both countries uh, were helping each other and created a very positive atmosphere. And a similar thing happened. And let's also remember that we have, um, well, there are there is elections in Turkey in uh, on 14th of May, a presidential election, and uh, Erdogan will be tested whether he will be able to uh, hold power or not. And after this earthquake, many people are now discussing whether he will try to postpone the elections. And I think many people are really uh, sick and tired, especially after what happened with, you know, for many, many years, Turkey collected um, earthquake tax after 99. And then we've realized after this earthquake that either the um, the, the, the laws were uh, violated and many buildings were not meeting the standards. And after um, such a big earthquake, uh, many people, you know, they were waiting for somebody to come and save them. And Turkey and Turkish and international um, aid agencies were not enough. And I think it created a sense of resentment. And um, we will see how this will affect the, the Turkish elections and whether uh, uh, Mr. Erdogan will be able to hold on to power after after that and whether there will actually be elections. And, you know, this is very fluid at the moment because people are still trying to um, save the last remaining people. Um, I think it's I think I, I think it's already too late for many, but. And, and, you know, economically also, it was a, it's such a big uh, blast on Turkey. So um, talking about elections, I think the Greek Cypriots were also in the mood of elections. And that also affected how they were going to respond to the developments that the Turkish Cypriots lost their, their lives. And many people had to wait. They were not sure whether they, were, they actually died because... You know, um, the first 10, 15 hours, nobody were able to reach that area. And then by the time um, the aid was there, I think it was already too late. Um, we found out today now that probably most of them died in the first second after the collapse of those kids. But um, yes, and I think the Greek Cypriot community was already in the, in the election um, mode. And now we have... 
a new president, a new uh, Republic of Cyprus president. And I think us being a political podcast, I think it is the right time to talk about what it means that we have Mr. Uh, Nikos Christodoulides as the new president of Republic of Cyprus, a president who was not supported officially by the two main parties of the Greek Cypriot community. This is my first question to you, Andromahi. What do you want to tell about the fact that he is not supported by the two main parties? So for the Cypriot political setting, this is an important development because uh, it it used to lie on these two very big, uh, uh, on, on these two big political parties that used to take their candidates to the second round. Having said that, though, in terms of the so-called stability of the government, let's say, or how the government will be managing to pass laws through the parliament, I think that as things are developing and as we had discussed many times in our podcast during the election campaign, because the... The disagreement, let's say, within DC was not of uh, a matter of ideology, let's say. It was simply a matter of who would be in charge of of, of power. Um, so now that uh, Mr. Christodoulidis has gained uh, the presidency, we are seeing uh, slowly Mr. Averofnovidu changing his position and he's now becoming much more reconciliatory towards uh, Mr. Christodoulidis. He's, he even, uh, whilst previously he was rejecting the participation of uh, of Mr. Christodoulidis in the wider European People's Party uh, family, now he, he gave in and he said that he agrees with that. I think there must have been some sort of of an agreement, let's say, between the sides that, okay, Mr. Christodoulidis is now the president. Today we saw that there was an agreement that Mr. Christodoulidis will not use high-ranking members members of DC in his um, in his ministers uh, in his council of ministers, and this, I think, it went. Uh, to the reassurance, let's say, of Mr. Averov Nofidu, but at the same time, Mr. Averov Nofidu basically said that they will be backing up uh, the president in the parliament. Uh, he even openly said that the Cyprus budget, let's say, it will be easily passed because of the support of uh, of DC. So I think that these developments are important. But they are important because of what happened between the first and the second round of the elections. And I think it is worth giving a bit of an insight to our uh, um, audience in the sense that after uh, Mr. Averovnofidu stayed out of the second uh, round of elections, um, of, of the elections, he basically came round and created this image of, of Mr. Christodoulidis as the traitor of the party. Very harsh words were heard during that week against Mr. Christodoulidis, words that had not been heard before, even in the heights of the election campaign. DC uh, officially decided not to support, to, to basically vote by conscience. Uh, and Mr. Averov Neofitu and the number other high-ranking DC uh, members basically hinted that they would vote for Mr. Andreas Mavroyannis. Um, this was done by Mr. Averov Neofitu, who said, I will not vote a blank vote and I will not vote for Mr. Christodoulidis. Uh, this was said by Mr. Kasulidis. This was said by Finance Minister Mr. Uh, um, Kostandinos Petridis. So there was this 
this very heightened uh, situation between the first and the second week of the elections in which you had high-ranking VC members basically openly distancing themselves from the Anastasiadis government. We were hearing hints and innuendos against Mr. Anastasiadis without anyone openly saying anything. And this basically reached its culmination on the Sunday of the elections when the daughter of VC of this is historic leader, Mr. Glavkos, the late uh, Glavkos Kliridis, um, Mrs. Kedi Kliridis, who was openly supporting Averov Nufidu, she basically openly came out and accused uh, Mr. Anastasiadis of a number of issues, saying that his uh, name has been tainted for a very long time and that uh, uh, everyone basically knows who Anastasiadis is. And this led to an open spat between uh, her and Mr. Anastasiadis. Uh, it is worth reminding you that Mrs. Kliridis was standing behind Averov Neofidu during the uh, when he went to vote. So I'm putting this into the context of a wider sort of conflict that emerged uh, in the in the week that um, came between the two rounds of elections, and I think this led uh, and and this basically led to uh, forty thousand. Close around to 40,000 uh, Averov Neofidu voters actually voting for Andreas Mavroyanis in the second round. So you had this setting, and then on Monday, after Mr. Christodoulidis got the, the, the presidency, you had a, a 180 degree turn by Mr. Averov Neofidu, who is now forgetting everything he was saying before. He was openly accusing him about the Cyprus problem as well before. And now all this is set aside and we just pretend that this never happened. To those who are not very familiar with the Cyprus politics, I think just to give a little bit of a context, we had the two main political parties. We have the AKEL, which which historically was has been, um, especially in the past, very close to the, the Soviet Communist Party. And after the fall of the Iron Wall, um, they started to um, change a little bit. I think they, they have those people who call still call themselves communists. But if you look at the policies and, and the people, I, I think we have people from, you know, the socialists, the social democrats, but generally very connected to their party. And on the right, we have had the DC, who is kind of a, like a coalition between the Greek nationalists of Cyprus and the liberals, the right-wing liberals. And, um, you know, why we, we are now talking about uh, DC a lot? Because they were the ones who were stay, who stayed outside um, the, the, the race after the first round. And uh, it was the, the candidate which was uh, supported by Akel and uh, Mr. Hristodelides who made it to the second round. So everybody was wondering what this um, party, DC, a party of uh, of right-wing Greek nationalists and, and some uh, liberals uh, um, who happen to be, they say, following the line of uh, the late President uh, Kleridis would do. But, uh, you know, we, we discussed a bit about Akel and, and DC, but for our listeners, really, who is Mr. Christodoulides? Actually, I would say that this podcast... Uh provides a very good profile of Mr. Christodoulidis because we have been discussing about Mr. Christodoulidis' role in, in many things for a, for a while now. 
maybe talk about a little bit about the profile. So he's he's rather young. He's married with children. He uh, has been following the um, the traditional uh, family values. He has been supported by the center parties who have been known as rejectionist parties who have never been very close to any kind of a solution deal. Although they have never been the majority, they in the past played a crucial role by allying themselves with either side of the spectrum. So it was on one hand, he was it was a coalition of rejectionist parties, and there are those who have been calling themselves independent and those who have been nationalists, those who supported DC and Akel in the past, supported him. So we also know that he uh, was supported by Mr. Uh, Anastasiadis directly or indirectly. And we also know that he has this uh, this image of outside of the, the, the systemic uh, powers of Cyprus politics. But in fact, he has every connection with the existing uh, politics. So what else I can I think it is important for our audience to understand that Mr. Christodoulidis is a person who has been very carefully sort of uh, walking his way towards the presidency. he ha- It is a person who has been very good at uh, public relations for a while now. Even during his time as government spokesperson, he avoided coming into clashes with uh, with Akel, uh, the op- main opposition party, and this allowed him to sort of infiltrate in the Akel sector sectors as well and getting a percentage out of that party. At the same time, I think that what is important for our audience to know is that Mr. Christodoulidis does not differentiate himself in any way politically for Mr. Nikos Anastasiadis. So he was very, uh, during the election campaign, he was basically sort of trying to keep a balance between this uh, anti-systemic profile and his allegiance to Mr. Anastasiadis. But I think that in the week that emerged between the first two rounds of the elections, it became evident that he was not distancing himself even an inch from Mr. Anastasiadis. And this was proven even after his election. He thanked Mr. Anastasiadis in his in his, uh, in his his speech during um, the announcement of his uh, election victory. At the same time, he even met Mr. Anastasiadis the, the day after, which is not which is not something that happens often. So I think he made absolutely no effort to uh, in any way disassociate himself from, from Mr. Anastasiadis. Having said that, though, at the same time, Mr. Christodoulidis was also playing on the anti-systemic card. So because... You know, because of what you described, this younger face, very, very uh, smiling and a very good communications person. He's also very religious. So he had created this picture of someone who is untainted, let's say. Of course, throughout, this comes into absolute contrast with the fact that he was the person closest to Mr. Anastasiadis, a person who is tainted with corruption scandals on his back, uh, and who is tainted with numerous corruption rumors as well. So all of these, uh, so, so Mr. Christodoulidis has for a very long time trying to balance between the anti-systemic profile and uh, his allegiance to Mr. Anastasiadis. And I think that he did it very well. He even There was even a front page on Monday of a newspaper that it, that it was saying that Mr. Christodoulidis went against the whole system and he won. But 
you know, if you look closely, the system and especially the circle around Mr. Anastasiadis, uh, whose presidency cannot be called uh, satisfactory, I mean, we are on the verge of partition, at the end of the day, he, he did benefit from all these circles. So it is kind of a very uh, big difference between w- what is what appears to be the truth and what the truth is. Uh, and and I refer to political issues. You know, I, I'm I'm talking politically here. I'm not talking personally. What can we say about the future? I mean, there are those who have been uh, against a federal solution, um, who supported Mr. Ristodoulidis, and after he was elected, we have seen many social media posts that this is the end of a bicommunal, bizonal federal model. Interestingly enough, this model has been renounced by the Turkish Cypriots and Turkey, especially after Mr. Akinci lost the elections in 2020. So, um, you know, um, renouncing something that is not even accepted by the Turkish uh, Turk and Turkish Cypriot side sounds quite um, interesting, to say the least. But I don't think that he openly denounced, Mr. Aristotelidis did not openly denounce a bicommunal, bizonal, or, or, or a federal uh, solution. And to be honest, I mean, yes, we have been hearing um, his positions, but I don't think that I can pick one and say that he is representing this particular position. It's more reactionary, it's more like populist, it's more combination of this and that, but I don't see Mr. Christodoulidis um, rejecting that. And what should we expect when it comes to the Cyprus problem? Of course, there will be elections in Turkey and that will also affect the the, the course of, of the events. But let's talk about Cyprus. I think there now. are a number of issues arising from your question, Kemal. So on the one hand, you have his past. And uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Christodoulidis, he was government spokesperson during the Gramontana conference, and then he was the Minister of Foreign Affairs. He has he is a person who put forward the sanctions against Turkey in the European Council. He, he has openly said that he disagrees with two points uh, of the Guterres framework. So sh- he he does not agree with the Guterres framework as a strategic uh, agreement, let's say, which in fact. Is, um, is shows that he remains true to his predecessor because this was Mr. Anastasiadis' stance, in a sense, because he was not pushing forward with the Guterres framework in any way. So on the one hand, we have this. I mean, we have his past that shows that uh, we have his past, but at the same time, we also have his positions that were clear, as we explained in our last podcast, that were clearly sort of delaying, let's say, the comprehensive solution. They were mostly, uh, they wanted to re-examine and re-evaluate some aspects of the Guterres framework. At the same time, as you said, he is backed by the political parties that have been, some of them have been uh, very hesitant towards a bizonal bicommunal federation, but some others openly denounce a bizonal bicommunal federation. And if you look at the amalgamation of supporters around him, there is a very clear nationalist feeling emerging out of it. Uh, at the same time, though, uh, he is the candidate who put forward very specific, let's say, ideas about how to proceed forward. I mean, he put forward uh, suggesting the 
opening of a number of chapters in the EU in in Turkey's accession process and putting them on the table as long as the Cyprus problem is also put on the table. He's also mentioning about a closer contact with the Turkish Cypriots. I mean, he had he, he has a number of of ideas, let's say, about this thing about this issue. So I think he is differentiated, let's say, from the parties that support him, and he's not an outright nationalist who rejects, let's say, a federation. And he's also very clever clever enough and, and knowledgeable enough on the issue to know that he cannot openly reject the federation. So, and, and as you explained, he's also in the very fortunate position in which, since the other side has rejected it, uh, he can go on saying, like, I can I can imagine that he might even have told the deck and Solidarity Movement, the t- two of the parties that support him but denounce a federation, in their discussions, I'm sure they must be saying something like, okay, since they rejected, you know, it's not like we're going to have a federal mo- uh, model uh, right after he gets elected. So I, I think there is this sense of delay. But at the same time, because I don't think it is all gloomy, let's say, Mr. Christodoulidis is also a person who has really pushed uh, for uh, Cyprus and American relations. Uh, He has really pushed for closer collaboration. And I believe that the Cyprus problem is now at that stage in which you need two things. You need international interest by a powerful Uh, countries that can really push the sides to get together again. And I think, let's be honest, I mean, the only power that can really do that now is either the United States or the EU from, from, I mean, when it comes to the EU-Turkey collaboration agreements. But at the same time, you also need moves on the ground when it comes uh, to coming closer to the Turkish Cypriots. If we think that he does have in his program some ideas about the Turkish Cypriots already, I believe that the United States, if they seek to have leverage on him, they can uh, find the way, let's say, to sort of get him down to... Um, you know, getting re-engaged with the process in the scenario that after the elections in Greece and Turkey, uh, there is a renewed interest by the uh, international community. So I don't think everything is gloomy on this. I think that there are um, the right buttons to push and the right cards to play in order to uh, get Mr. Christodoulidis interested into being re-engaged in this process. I don't say that it, it will come natural but at the same time, I think that the leverage can be found because of uh, his other uh, outlook towards international affairs. There are those who have been saying that he will try to shape the local politics now that DC will probably be looking at the prospect. And then uh, Mr. Neofidu, who lost in the first round the presidential candidacy, um, is now again running for the uh, party presidency. And um, I think there will some sort of a, probably a division because party allegiance have, has always been very strong in the Greek Cypriot community and, and many Greek Cypriots who, many DC supporters and members who have been seeing Mr. Hristodoulidis close to DC seeing it as a as a as a uh, you know an action of a traitor by you know candidating the last minute and not you know running through the party mechanisms 
So we will see whether he will be able to shape the, the local politics. There are those who are saying that, in fact, uh, Mr. Anastasiadis is continuing his legacy through Mr. Christodoulidis. That's also another statement that we, we, we hear. And there are, of course, those conspiracy theories that he supported Mr. Christodoulidis. Okay, openly, he was supporting the DC candidate, but behind uh, behind the scenes, uh, Mr. Christodoulidis, simply because he's thinking that all this corrupt politics will be will not be come to the uh, forefront if Mr. Christodoulidis will be elected again. But of course, there are those um, who are also discussing the international scene. Yes, he has good relations with the U.S. And uh, but on the other hand, we know that Russia, supported by the by the organizations and structures close to Russian influence, also supported Mr. Christodoulidis. So we don't know how this will be be shaped. Uh, we don't know whether you know he will try to balance uh, politics between U.S. And, and and Russia and, of course, uh, the EU. A again, these are uh, uh, yet to see. But um, I also agree that, you know, it, it's, it's not more, it's not very gloomy because it was gloomy anyway. I mean, you know, we don't expect a lot of change because things were not really very promising before the election. So I don't think a big drastic change has happened. The only thing is that the reactionary people are, are rejoicing, but I don't think that you know there is a drastic change in the in in the sense that the Turkish Cypriot and Turkish side are now waiting for the elections in Turkey. And let's let's not forget, Mr. Christodoulidis uh, personally he enjoys good relations at a personal level with Mr. Çavuşoğlu and and Mr. Erdogan because you know they they know each other from the Crown Montana days. And um, know, we don't know how things will evolve. You know, Kemal, the, the gloomy aspect of it uh, is that, in my eyes, we are talking about the con continuation of the Anastasiadis' government when it comes to the spirit of the government, let's say. I don't want to judge beforehand. I want to see the stigma of his minister's council, and we will be here to discuss it and to discuss the sort of uh, approach he will take or the or the direction that he will show. But I think that the, um, the Cypriot society today is becoming increasingly polarized. And the, I'm, I'm not sure the extent, uh, you know, because this this government, Mr. Mr. Christodoulidis came to power putting forward the law, the slogan of unity, and the, the, his slogan was the power that unites. And in fact, if you look at how the election campaign turned out, it all turned so divisive. And even at the, in, in the, in, I mean, even in the week between the first and the second round of the elections, we had the rhetoric that was used was kind of toxic. And what I want to say is that I'm not sure the extent to which uh, Mr. Christodoulidis will be able to work against this polarization in the society. I'm not very hopeful, to be honest, especially seeing uh, the people that are behind him in terms of who supports him. You know, I, I don't want to uh, criticize him before we see his political stigma that will come with his minister's council. But what I'm trying to say is that we have a, a far-right party alarm that has become 
that has basically positioned itself as the fourth political power on the island. They can practically dictate their agenda. They have made their agenda basically mainstream and their agenda has been normalized. And we explained it many times how Mr. Averov Nofid went DC has been reiterating the uh, slogans used by the far-right party Elam, but at the same time, and it is worth noting it here, is that, in fact, the 6% by Elam was kind of what dictated the final result of the elections. Because many analysts for very long have been thinking that, you know, Elam, it's kind of you know, youngsters who don't really care and they will go and vote for their own candidate, which was Mr. Christo in the first round and he got the 6%, but they wouldn't bother to go to the second round, etc. And in fact, uh, according to the exit polls, Elam had not been, uh, Elam voters had not been to the polls before midday on Sunday. And until that time, the results were extremely close. And then, because of that, Elam uh, voters were mobilized and they went and voted. And in fact, the Elam representative um, on TV on, on, on Sunday night, he openly said that had it not been for Elam, the candidate of Akel would have won. So what I'm trying to say is that we have a very dangerous political mix and a political setting. We have the rise of the far right. We have an increasingly polarized political setting. We have the two major political parties going through a significant crisis, even though, if I may say, politically, I think Akel's problems might be bigger than DC's. Because the C's rhetoric has been more enhanced uh, as as the election results show. On the contrary, Akel did manage to get a very respectable 48.2 for its candidate in the second round, but that was because the people that wanted Cyprus, you know, to move away from the past and to disassociate itself from Mr. Anastasiadis rallied around Mr. Mavroyannis. So I think Akel, it is an opposition party that has failed, that after 10 years of a very, very dangerous and problematic governance by Mr. Anastasiadis, Akel has failed to capitalize on it and it has failed to basically be elected, even though they might consider it a success because they look at the percentage they got, but they still stayed out of um, out of power, power for a third consecutive period. And so I think that uh, Akel will be faced with very, very big ideological dilemmas, especially at the time when its political rhetoric is becoming more isolated because the voters who go to and vote in Cyprus appear to have been shifting towards the right. And I say the voters who go to vote because what uh, the, and I'm closing here. The other thing that emerged out of these elections is that around 45% of the electorate that would be eligible to vote, in fact, does not vote. And I refer to both abstention rates, but also the 175,000 uh, people that are not that could have been registered but are not registered in the electoral li- lists. Andromahi, he doesn't uh, have a big party behind him officially and yes of course we know that the the, the base of dc and you know um, other parties um supported him 
How is he going to pass laws in the parliament? Um, how much is he relying on the support of DICO, for example, and DIPA and, uh, and, and reactionary parties? How is it going to be possible for Christodoulidis to pass laws in the parliament, especially if the DC will continue to be bitter towards him? And you say that probably DC will support him in the parliament. And but is it really going to be the case? Well, to be honest, there are uh, bets going on uh, about who, which is going to be the first party that will be <laughs> removed, uh, that will withdraw its support from Mr. Christodoulidis. So um, I think Evek is the primary candidate at the moment, as I saw some uh, Twitter polls uh, just a while ago. Um, but uh, joke, jokes aside. I think he he counts on the C Kemal. I uh, I honestly think, and I know I think I mentioned it in this podcast before. I believe that he knows that at some point uh, the smaller parties, because the smaller parties do not have the the party structure that the big parties have, which can dictate their line. Let's say in in the smaller parties that support Mr. Christodoulidis, we often see. MPs of those parties voting against the party line, let's say, which is not very often, you don't see it very often with Akel and DC. So I believe that Mr. Christodoulidis is aware of this. And in fact, as I said at the beginning, I think that uh, his discussion with Mr. Averov Novitu today kind of showed that there is going to be some sort of... Um, of an understanding, especially if you consider that, as we said, it is a continuation in spirit of the Anastasiadis government. So to be very honest, I think that uh, Mr. Christodoulidis will find a way to pass the laws in the parliament, not necessarily with the parties that support him officially, but at least uh, the C uh, will be there, I believe, because I'm also of the opinion that at some point, the diverging interests between the smaller parties will not be making it possible for them to be voting together in the parliament. We know that all around the world, reactionary populist candidates who do not necessarily embrace a very specific ideology are being elected. So it's a general uh, phenomenon nowadays in our age. So maybe Mr. Christodoulidis is not necessarily very different. I have a theory, Andromai, I believe that he, he likes to uh, hold the power. He loves to be um, respected and um, elected and supported and, and uh, appreciated. But I don't see him um, supporting a very, you know, a very specific ideology. Yes, he has his positions and ideas and statements, but I don't see him as a representative of a specific ideology. And I think he might surprise us in different ways. Now that he's the sweetheart of the reactionaries, I think he has more leverage to pass certain um, let's say, um, openings towards the Turkish Cypriots. Maybe I'm just being too optimistic, but if he claims to be the president of all Cypriots and not only the leader of the Greek Cypriot community, the things that he will be doing will not necessarily be getting a lot of reactions from the reactionaries in the Greek Cypriot community and things like, let's say, um, acknowledging and recognizing the you know um, providing the um, Cypriot uh, Republic of Cyprus documentation to those 
whose one of their parents are, are uh, Cypriots, Republic of Cyprus um, documents holder, is just one example. Whether he will be, um, let's say, taking some positions towards, again, the Turkish Cypriots, maybe doing something in the, in the bureaucracy towards a Turkish Cypriot, you know, people who need to do something in the in the government bureaucracy, maybe opening an office. So these are some of the things that might be possible. And then he has every leverage to do so because he also has he also has the the, the let's say um argument for that. He might come up and say that, you know, I am the president of all Cypriots and I'm just doing this. So Let's see. And um, we all know that um, now that, you know, only negative things are being expected from him as he's being supported by the reactionary forces, he might actually surprise some of us as, that you know, um, especially if he wants to impress the, the EU circles within the Union. Yeah, of course, here it is worth reminding that uh, after the Gramontana conference, he basically stopped all uh, relations between the EU offices and uh, and uh, the Turkish Cypriot community. But one could say that he was following Mr. Anastasiadis' orders. But this is the reason why I keep repeating that in his program, he did make a number of promises regarding the Turkish Cypriots and how you, the Republic of Cyprus needs to bring them closer and have a, a wider strategy. So we... And he visited North during what? his campaign. Yes, he also visited the North, which was unprecedented. Uh, and he also mentioned the Turkish Cypriots two or three times in his um, in his speech after he was uh, declared the president. So, I mean, it is very good to have a clear picture of 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 one's past and a clear p- picture of of where one stands when it comes to the suggestions they put down. But at the same time, I think we shouldn't be ruling out or we shouldn't be ready to lash out against one. I think we need to wait and see the stigma that Mr. Christodoulidis will choose to have upon his presidency. And I totally agree that the fact that he's kind of adored (laughs) by a number of circles might make it easier for him to make some openings. And we will be here to be pushing for them. And to be criticizing or, uh, you know, I think we will be mostly criticizing, but <laughs> uh, but uh, we will also be congratulating when things go well. Sure. And, um, you know, we are a critical podcast and that's what we do. I mean, we are critical, to, you know, uh, towards both sides whenever they do things which are not to the interest and the benefit of the Cypriots or, or when they are not, um, you know, when when those actions are damaging reconciliation or the, the future of Cyprus. But at the end of the day, I agree with you. It is uh, it, it is a change. Um, after two terms of Anastasiadis um, government, now uh, there is a new face. And uh, yes, the, uh, the, the his past and his previous actions and the, the current picture are not very promising, but uh, we know how things can always change in politics and how alliances can change, and um, and and we will we, we will want to want to see it. And I think the political parties will have to re-evaluate, re-analyze um, their positions, their statements, their um, uh, their standing. And it will be a change, definitely. 
And I think that the earthquake in Turkey will also change the political future in Turkey. I don't think that AK Party government will able to um, stand it because regardless of how successful or unsuccessful any government is in such a big scale, I think people will want to, you know, make some changes. So I think in 2023, we are yet to see um, interesting uh, developments when it comes to Cyprus politics. Yes, and just to be clear, we are critical towards those who have power, and this is why we are here, and we will continue to be doing that. And uh, well, and on this note, I think it's time to say goodbye. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus, Island Talks, open, diverse, free. <laughs>